Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I am your spirit guide. Tonight we had Koval in the house with Jamie Stout educating us on the oat, the rye, the millet, the four grain whiskey and the bourbon. Jamie even busted out from her own private stash a little taste for us of the peach brandy, which is pretty mind blowing if you're going down that road. Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't get drunk and step on the cat. I love taking people on this journey of the flight because it's it's more than just here's our 10 year, here's our 12 year. It's this is what 100% oat tastes like. This is what 100% rye whiskey tastes like. So it's just a, a really fun, lovely flight to go down the, the story with and really taste the grain. Koval, that name was originated from um, Sonnet's great-grandfather who immigrated from Chicago. Thank you. Chicago from Austria. Both Sonnet and Robert is a family-owned company, husband and wife team. She's the president. He's a master distiller. Um, they both are from Austria originally. Um, been in Chicago a long time. In fact, they, when they were deciding where they wanted to purchase a house, and they said, well, or we can buy a distillery. And they're both actually doctors. Um, he's a deputy press secretary for the Austrian embassy in DC. She was a professor in Jewish women's studies at Oxford, and they just decided they wanted to do this instead. And so they bought the distillery in 2008, and um, haven't looked back since. I'm gonna talk, talk to you a little bit about the oat right now that you're trying. This one is 100% oat is the bill on it. This is a very, very light, easy to drink whiskey. Um, if you have people in your lives that don't drink whiskey yet, um, this is something that's a great way to introduce them to whiskey. It's a little sweet, a little spicy, but just a delicate, delicate whiskey. 100% oat, which is really unusual, and it's great for breakfast. Just but oat, like oatmeal, that's what's used. 100% oat. So we mash, mill, distill, bottle, everything on site at our distillery. And the only grains we purchase are local Midwest organic farmers. All the bottles that you're gonna be tasting t today, except for the white rye that you had in the punch, are all single barrel as well. So these are all single barrel. And, and we can trace every bottle back to the farm that it was raised in the season we harvested it. Because they're single bottle and they're, they're single grain and we want them to keep them as consistent as possible, we have great care taking into if we liked a certain a certain barrel better at a certain time of year, we're very aware of that farm had better oat. We like this oat, it tasted better when we harvested it in August. Let's buy the, the August oat, you know, from this farm at this time. So it's very craft, very hands-on. Every bottle's taste, it's a true craft distillery. Are you guys only using your standard 53-gallon barrels or are you using smaller barrels? Smaller barrels. But so we're, do you we're know how big these barrels 30, are? The 33, 33? I'm sorry. 33-gallon yeah. barrels? Okay. Yeah, and it's um, even the, the it's American white oak from Minnesota, so we even get the wood from Midwest. And what we're starting to discover as they've depleted the forests of the Ozarks, or as they're in the process of depleting the forests of the Ozarks, as they move further north and are harvesting trees from Minnesota, these trees taste different than, than the southern oaks. So there's gonna be a couple things in this whiskey that might strike you as being different. And that's the cool thing about craft distilling is that you're gonna, there are gonna be differences. Um, this is oat-based, so see if you can smell that oat. If you can, the whole point of whiskey is to retain that base agricultural product. You're trying to retain the identity so that that's the difference between whiskey and vodka. You know what it's made of. When you make vodka, 
Nobody knows what it's made of because by the time it's done, it's supposed to taste like a glacier or a rain cloud. And this is not like that. We, we make whiskey on purpose to try to be able to identify what it's made of, whether it be corn or wheat or rye, or in this case, oats. So can you guys smell the oats when you stick your nose in that glass and breathe in gently through your mouth? Do you get the oats? Can you smell it? What does it smell like, Jane? <laughs> but, but oatmeal or raw oats or grass in the field or? Like an oatmeal cookie from the baker. Mm. And so the other thing, because they do use a smaller barrel, almost all the whiskey you've ever had in your life comes out of a 53 gallon barrel. And that ratio of whiskey to charred oak is not only indicative of a flavor and a color, but also a texture. It has a mouth feel to it. And so anytime that you change the size of the barrel, you might be able to tell on your tongue that it's something's different. Like I've had whiskey that's really, really dark, but it came out of a tiny barrel, like a one gallon barrel. And it, it had all the color, but it didn't taste anything like the whiskey that I was used to. And that's just back to that ratio of distillate to charred oak surface. And so see if you can detect that note in texture. This is a slightly smaller barrel. So can you tell, can you tell the difference in the mash bill? Can you tell the difference in the barrel size? You guys are the Whiskey Society. You drink a lot of whiskey. Now we're gonna put that knowledge to the test here. I know the barrel is charred, but I, I smell like fresh wood. Fresh wood, okay, okay. Like it just got cooked. That could be that it's a, a smaller barrel. You've got more surface area of oak to the distillate in that smaller barrel. So maybe it creates a stronger wood presence. What else? What other experiences? This tastes great. <laughs> no, oat is um, the third. The third one that you'll be trying with the only ones in the world that make. Um, but the oat whiskey is um, a little bit more common. Um, usually not 100% though. You'll get um, mash bills of a mix, and they'll you know you'll have parts of oat. Yeah. But, um, actually, the history is yeah. that. When you think about whiskey, whiskey comes out of, out of a, not of a, it didn't come out of some farmer's genius idea to make a drink that tasted a certain way. Rather, it was using a certain technology, at, which at one point was a disruptive technology, and that was that farmer's pot still, that copper pot that we have on our little shelf here in the Bar Jack Globe. That represents a, a radical change for farmers, and we're talking hundreds of years ago, but what it offered to a farmer was the ability to preserve their commodity. Suddenly, instead of your bushels going to rot in your field and you had no way to transport it to someone else to be able to get rid of them, you could make a beer and then distill the beer into a distillate which would no longer age. Like beer will grow old, you know, you can only keep beer around for maybe a week after you made it in your barn, in your, your oak barrel. But if you distill it, then it becomes a spirit. It has left this material plane. It's turned into something else, and it is no longer something that is going to perish with age, right? Does that make sense? So that whiskey was just a way for farmers to preserve their, their hard work. But they would have used, it would have been traditional for them to use whatever they had on hand, whatever was left in their field, whether it be oats, wheat, rye, whatever, they would have used it. And so, Again, it, it becomes out of, it, it came out of necessity, not out of some farmer's idea of something, a flavor profile they were trying to achieve. That is only happening now. You know, this, that's what these guys are doing. They have the luxury of trying to pursue a certain flavor profile. 
but again, the challenge being they have to wrestle with that dollars per bottle number, which for a, a small distillery is, is really, really challenging, especially when you're trying to go up against Heaven Hill and all these massive brands that are, you know, pouring more whiskey down the drain in their bottling facility than you make in a week. You know what I mean? That's, it's a reality. They're like, they're massive, massive facilities. So, um, Jamie, what's the, what's the, proof, what's the price point? The proof on that was 80. Okay. So uh, we have three 80 proof whiskeys that you're going to be trying and two 94 proof. Usually the price point on the 80 is between 40 and 50. And, and for the higher proof, it's between 50 and 60. So as a, you know, I mean, I've seen our bottles as high as $65 because it's LA and I've seen them as cheap as $38, but that's the, the relative, and I, which is a great price for a single barrel craft whiskey I think it's fantastic and if so. you find something tonight I mean that's the cool thing about the whiskey size we're, we're getting a chance for a, a low price for you guys to be able to try a bunch of different new spirits that are coming to market that being said if you have never seen it before all you have to do is ask your local liquor store owner to bring it in most mom-pop liquor stores are more than happy mm -hmm. to bring in a new product if they know you're gonna buy a bottle of it they've got nothing to lose so and you know, we have such a huge line Feel free, reach out to me, I'll give you guys my card. You can email me and say, hey, this is the liquor store I usually buy from. Can you ask them to, what's that third one I tried? Because a lot of times they'll, they'll go to order Koval whiskey and then they'll see that we have 15 whiskeys and they'll not know what to do. So feel free to, I'll give you guys my cards and can loop me in on an email and I'd be happy to help you out with that. How far do you distribute, only in America or in other No, we are um, in Japan, Canada, Australia, all, all over Europe. Um, Thailand is new. Um, almost be easier to tell you what countries we're not in. And uh, they, they um, Sonnet and Robert, which is wh why they're people from, from especially the West Coast say, why haven't I heard of this? This is so great. Why haven't I heard of it? They're Midwest, Austrian descent. They kind of did all over Midwest, East Coast, and then went Europe. So they haven't really spent a lot of time out here on the West Coast, but if you go to Chicago, you, you know, step on the train and people are like, oh, come on. You know, it just, it, it's very, everyone in Chicago knows Koval well, and for the mid Midwest for the most part. But West Coast, they just haven't really put much into marketing or advertising yet out here. Um, they have the, because we know our product is so great and they really do stand behind it, they kind of have the mindset of, it's just, we're not worried. It's gonna get there when it gets there. You know, we're not, because we're still a family-owned company, we're not those people that are gonna throw $50,000 for every, you know, blink of, a, of an ad space anywhere. We're just like, no, it, people will know. What did you guys think of that first one, the O's? Is there anything that jumped out of you as being different? Any flavor notes that you can share that like set it apart? It's like black coffee and cinnamon. Black coffee and cinnamon, oh, nice. beautiful. What See? else? The, the texture is probably the biggest difference. The yeah, texture, and in what way? What do you mean, Jared? A little creamier. See what I mean about it? It's, it's a great, if you're trying to turn people into the whiskey world, it's a very approachable, whiskey to say here you know i'm getting a little bit of a mintiness too but that it's a, a woody mint it, like what i'm getting is that what i i think might be that northern harvest the northern more oaks having a greener taste to the wood itself whereas the the white american white oak that's coming out of the south that gets all sun baked it's got those like big mapley brown sugar notes this is a little more verdant i'm getting something that's like a little minty maybe it's from the wood i don't know it's just a theory. Well, did we pass around the second market? Yeah. What is this one? 
single barrel rye. This one is 100% rye, which is unusual. Most ryes will be about an 80% and they'll you know, mix with a barley or di different grains. So this one is a fun, pure 100% rye. Fun fact, they named one of their sons Rye. Uh, yeah, which is awesome, and I wish I would have stole that, but uh, the shop's closed for me. But, um, so no, he, his name's Rye, and Lion is their other son. Um, and people say, he's eight years old, and people say, Rye like, like Ryan. And he goes, no, like the whiskey. So he's also a very cool eight-year-old. But um, yeah, so Rye is named after this delicious beverage we're about to try. So you're saying this is 100% rye mash? 100% rye. So it's my understanding though that in fermentation, the, the rye fermentation is so acidic that it's prohibitive to a lot of different kinds of yeast. So are you using a specific kind of yeast to get that rye to ferment or are you adding an enzyme that will We're not will adding that? anything to it, no. You're using the same, same yeast strain in all the whiskeys? I believe so, yes. Um, and But no amylase or anything to accelerate that because... No, there's nothing added. We don't do any added in the process. I can find out that, that I know that there's certain points that they add, uh, but. Well, yeah, yeah. Just fermentation, when, yeah. when you say you don't add anything to your yeah. whiskey, it's not quite whiskey yet when we talk about yes. fermentation. Yeah. We're just talking about the beer at that point. Yeah. So it could be that um, I, they have to add some kind of enzyme to help the fermentation happen because rye is such a different kind of grain than say corn or oats, oh. which are very like obviously very savory and, and easy for those yeasts to get out the sugars, whereas Rye is a really dense grain and it's very spicy, so you would have to have a, a yeast with a certain integrity to, to be able to survive in that environment and be able to get it to ferment to the point where you could actually make the whiskey. And rye, technically rye is a wild grass. It's a very uh, aggressively growing uh, wild grass. In fact, when, when folks first came to America, the reason they were making whiskey out of rye, they weren't really doing that in the old world. That, you know, European rye is very spindly. It's not a very robust grain in comparison to what was the Native American grown rye here in America it was so crazy that it would like grow on rooftops. It, grow, it grew everywhere and it was almost like for farmers it would be a nuisance grass. It was a wild grass that would take over your fields. You had to kind of constantly be battling against the rye. So the people who came from the old world, Irish and Scottish immigrants who were bringing the whiskey technology, they had those little farm stills they would use rye because it was just abundant. It was just growing everywhere. Um, but it is a very, very different flavor profile than a lot of other kinds of grasses. But it essentially is a really strong grass. So that grassiness makes sense if you're getting it on there. Yeah, but I got more think? dust on the oat actually than I got on this one. Yeah, I got like a sawdust note on that. But I think that that's coming from those smaller barrels. Is this also 33 yeah. gallon barrels? So do you guys only age in 33 gallon barrels? Yes, I will, I'll double check because I know we were going through a process where they're, we're gonna be switching and we just bought a new distillery. So oh, cool. um, don't hold me to that because I will double it's check okay. on that. It's okay, you're a brand ambassador. You're yeah. not the whiskey scientist person. You're not. I know we were just there in Chicago and we had our whole team from Japan and everywhere in. And we were all expecting to, we wanted to mash and distill and we were there for a team meeting. It was, everybody was there and they didn't let us do any of the fun stuff. And, and by the end of the second day, we're like, when, when are we gonna go and actually make it so that we have more of a hands-on thing? And they're like, oh, you wanted to do that? And all of us were like, oh, we were so bummed that we didn't get a chance to actually make the whiskey ourselves. But one day, next, next time. So single barrel rye, guys. And to me, like rye category, since we opened Seven Grand, 11 years ago, rye was always, it was my first whiskey that I was most passionate about was, was rye whiskey. And now 11 years later, we're starting to see single barrel ryes come to market, which wasn't really a category. 
But I, I predict that like single barrel rye will become a dominant category in the whiskey world in the next few years. And we're already starting to see it. We've been able to buy a couple single barrels of rye here at Seven Grand in the last year. And now here's Koval with their single barrel rye. I, I mean, you can't really Google it right now. There's not much single barrel rye out there, but I think it's happening. I think that this is where the whiskey world is going right now. Koval is actually very hands-on as far as leading the industry and in, in the change of, of where the craft, craft spirits is going. Uh, we also have a consulting company called Cote Distillery, and people come from all over the world to learn how to distill from Robert. He's a third generation master distiller, and twice a year he puts on these um, distilling seminars that last about a week. And we've set up 20, actually we're at like 3,500 distillers across the world now. And a lot of distilleries that you've heard of before started from us and learned how to distill from Robert. So few distilleries, one of them. Whistle Pig was our rye for the first two years. They bought our rye. And just, you know, and we don't outsource anything. We're all hands-on ourselves. And but we don't don't mind the competition. We like the that we're teaching other people. We're, you know, we feel like we have a great product and we want other people to have great products too. And so um, we've taught and educated several, several craft distilleries across the world on how to do what he does. All right, well Ali's coming around. And Stephanie, what, what is this third mark that we're passing around here? It's a medium char. Medium char, yeah. The millet, sorry. The millet. Mil I know, it's a weird one. Someone else's whiskey? Millet, the one that you're trying next. Yeah. How did they get it? So, we're the only one in the world that makes 100% millet whiskey. So millet's a, becoming a little bit more common in whiskeys mixed in. There's a handful of Japanese whiskeys that use it, but no one does it at 100%. So this one is... One of my favorite, and I love that I'm in a world right now in an area where people are, um, like yourselves, are more interested in diving in and trying new things and having different things and not being afraid to say, I like it or I don't like it, or these are the notes that I get while someone else can say something completely different. Um, the millet is one of my most favorite things to ask people what, they, what notes they get because I think it's so, so unique. I personally get a lot of vanilla on the nose but I think the palate is very spicy and very different than the nose. I don't get the sweetness on the palate, um, and I love asking people what notes that they get on this particular whiskey. Millet is an ancient grain they trace back to Nepal. Uh, it's also the very small, like bird seeds, if you've, if you're, that you've seen before. And also, That's if you've ever had Ethiopian food here in LA, there's a, they always serve Ethiopian food usually on injera which is a, a millet pancake, essentially. It's a fermented millet pancake. It gets really, really bubbly, and they, you, they serve it to you. It's like this communal, yeah, it's like a sponge pancake, and it, it expands a lot in your stomach when you eat it. But you also use the injera in Ethiopian food to actually scoop up the food and eat it. And that's it. made with millet? Yeah, that's made oh, from millet. It's, it's a sour millet, uh, so they ferment. Like the same way you have sourdough bread, they have a sour millet batter. And that's what they're spreading on the big metal plate. Massive amounts of. Did you know this ahead of time, or did you Google millet before? Because I'm very I, impressed by that. I love Ethiopian <laughs> food. <laughs> we live in LA. We get so much great food. Yes. So we're very. Yeah. Don't, they don't Ethiopian. have that in Orange County. All right. Yeah, we don't get Ethiopian food there. Soon, coming Just soon. To, yeah, OC. yeah. Right. That'll be the day. You said it's smooth. Yeah, this reminds me, it smells more like the oat. It's not in the same world as that rye. It's, it's funny because a lot of people say that this is one of the, the most spicy ones that we have. And what's funny is I will have, I will do tastings with 
thousands of people at you know wine and food festivals, and every time I'll have five people come up and I'll have the five different whiskeys. Most of the time, everyone when I say what's your favorite, they do this. So there's usually everyone has a different favorite, which is great cool. because it's, there's really something for everyone here. But we're, yeah, we're the only one in the world that makes this. So if you want to just sound elitist and to your whiskey friends and be like, I've got something you've never had before, this is the one that you would bring out for them. Hopefully you don't have to do that. <laughs> the world has enough elitism. The whole point of this we is to not LA. be. We are in L.A. I'm just, you know. Ay, ay, ay. So much blood. If you want to impress ladies. someone, I'm just kidding. But everything on our line is also organic as well. And uh, kosher. Sonnet is Jewish studies professor, so we kept the kosher. So you've got a rabbi blessing the cases on the way out That's the door? That's not what makes it kosher. Actually, what is it? What is it? What um, makes it kosher? Kosher is a—it's a very high degree of um, basically cleanliness and how how you store, how you get the grain, how you make make the mash. So it's basically just a really high degree of cleanliness. But there is a rabbi that comes around and checks to make sure we're up to speed and we are in fact kosher to the standard that we list it and we've been fine every day. But he's not like saying, go mill it. Yeah, he's not, yeah. I, I hope that there's a, a rabbi out there enjoying it right enjoying now. Enjoying our, our millets, yes. So Stephanie's yeah. coming around with our four grain, four grain now. This is my favorite. So th yeah. now this is another one, this is a little bit more unusual in, in the whiskey world that there's a couple other distillers mm. that are putting out four grain now. But like I said, in the tradition of whiskey making, this would be not uncommon. People would have just been making whiskey with whatever they had on hand. Whereas it's more rare now, the actual, if you look at the history of whiskey, a four grain whiskey would have been very, very common to your average farmer who's just making whiskey on their, in their barn, you know? People would use whatever grain they had on hand. In fact, if, if you look at uh, Irish pot still whiskey, traditionally pot still whiskey, they would again throw in the, the pot still whiskey didn't really have much of a definition of what they would use in their mash bill. They would use a certain amount of unmalted barley, as much unmalted, because they were taxed on the malted barley in Ireland, so they would use as much of the unmalted barley as they could to avoid the taxes, but they would also occasionally throw oats in. That was not uncommon for Irish whiskey. Yeah, well, they didn't have much corn back then, but they did have oats. And so it wasn't uncommon for Irish whiskey to have a certain amount of oats in the mash bill. We are moving up to 94 proof, so you're gonna feel this one a little bit more than the last three, just letting you know. This one is my favorite on the line. This is wheat, oat, barley, and rye are the four grains on this one. And we're, as the three we had before were all 100% of each grain. This one, you're really gonna taste the dance of the grains. It really takes you on a journey, and I, I love this one. I think it's one of the most complex whiskeys that we have. Um, I get a lot of caramel out of it uh, myself, but I just think it's, this is like my favorite part of our flight tasting because it's like, here's 100%, 100%, and then boom, go on the stance of four grains and see what happens, and I, I, this is my favorite thing. I drink this one the most. So yeah, stick your nose in this glass. Does everybody have the four grain? So another thing uh, really different about Caval that we pioneered that's becoming more common now is we use the heart cut of the distillate. I don't know if you guys have heard of that before. So when you distill, first thing comes out is the head of the distillate that makes you go blind and crazy. Nobody uses that, they get rid of it. Then it's the heart cut, then it's the tails. The tails have an oil to it, like a very like oil base. 
And most people, a lot of people will use the hearts and the tails, you'll get a much greater yield of product. And the reason you barrel things a long time is to cover the, the tail smell because it, the tails smell like a wet dog. So when you barrel a long time, it covers that. So we only barrel, we only age two to four years because we only use the heart cut of the distillate. So it's on purpose. We don't want you to taste the barrel, we want you to taste the grain. So it's a very specific on purpose style um, because we only use the heart cut, we don't need to, we don't want to overage it. We don't want you just to taste oak. We want you to taste the grain. So that's the style of Caval. That's, and we do it on purpose. A lot of people will, will ask me, one of the common questions is, why, are you going to do a 20 year? Or are you going to do it? And the answer is no, we don't. I mean, I'm sure they've got like a, a barrel somewhere hiding just to see if, you know, if they like it. But we do this on purpose because we only use the purest form of the distillate. So. so a few things that are striking me that are unique yeah. about Caval are the single barrel aspect. You guys are all doing all single barrel releases. The alternative mash bills. Mm -hmm. There's no age statements on any of your products. And there's, you, you guys are organic too. Are organic. all, everything's, everything's organic? organic. Organic See, and kosher. And kosher. And kosher. And, kosher. <laughs> and the millet is also gluten-free. So I joke that it is the whiskey for difficult people because you can be everything. Well, I say whiskey is for all difficult people. <laughs> I think that most difficult people need more whiskey. Like, it's kind of like a big debate lately because I, Having had as Not many tastings as I've done, I've had people that are gluten-free that said, I've tried, you know, a whiskey or tried and like broken out ER kind of a thing. I did have one girl say like, if it touches my skin, I go to the ER and I'm like, let's just not drink. Let's just not. Like, I was like, just, just don't, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna be here and watch that happen. So I'm just. Well, hopefully that won't happen here tonight. <laughs> um, so we're coming around, uh, Stephanie and Allie are coming around with the fourth mark here. The fifth mark actually. I know, right? Just gonna pour it all over my body. Thank you. Okay, we're on to our flagship. This is our bourbon. So, 51% corn, which is the bare minimum to be classified as a bourbon. And 49%, anyone want to guess? Dry. I heard it. Millets, 49% millet. Somebody read the paperwork. I don't know, yeah. Um, so, 51% corn, 49% millet. So this is a very unique bourbon. So you'll, you'll get similar notes. You'll, it'll be, reminiscent of your millet experience because it's such a high percentage of millet in this. This is also gluten-free, millet and corn. Jamie, I had a question for you. Yes. Um, going back to what you were talking about, not using any, any portion of the tail cut. Yeah. Do you guys do anything with that at all? Because that's such a large percentage of like what comes out. We do use, um, I believe we do it for our liqueurs. We'll do oh. like a redistilled. You know, we'll distill it again. Yeah, liqueur is uh, gin too, right? I don't know if we use it for the gin, but I'll check for that. I'm not sure if they do, yeah. Yeah, we have we have amazing dry gin and barrel gin. Sonnet and Robert actually hate gin and they wanted to make a gin that they liked. And uh, it was the most, our dry gin was the most heavily awarded gin in the country in 2015. So it's a, uh, it's, it's. I saw it's, one that you make with artichoke parts too, right? Or oh, the, the sunchoke, we don't have that anymore. We do a lot of limited editions a lot. Right now we have a peach brandy that's. So good. Amazing. <laughs> that I have in there that like, I don't know, maybe I'll pull out. But, um, the, so we do limited editions every once in a while and when they're gone, they're gone. So we, we, yeah, the liqueurs are actually spectacular. I love our liqueurs. 
Um, and we have, um, yeah, we do, we do, we, we partnered up with McKellar and did, am I even saying it right? McKellar, the beer? Yeah. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Okay. We partnered up with them and did a whiskey based on one of their beer recipes. And it was gone worldwide. Usually we'll make a limited release into the last two years. It was gone in like two months. It was so good. And I'm really bummed that they're not making more of that one. Um, but yeah, so we do, if you check on our website, you'll see like the limited release things that we do. Some of them we can't get on the West Coast. You can only get them on certain places. But um, the peach brandy is one that you can. Robert, I, Robert, I said, was a, he's a third generation master distiller and his parents, his great, great grandparents were Austrian brandy farmers. So he comes from the brandy background initially. Um, so we make really lovely brandies. And it's funny because you say peach brandy and it sounds very girly and schnapsy and it's just, it's not. It's yeah. like the bartenders here went out and when I came and, and tried them on it, they all went out and like, where can I buy this and bought bottles? So it's a, it's a fantastic. Yeah, the, fantastic the history product. of brandy has yeah. been smeared by things like schnapps, but yes. truthfully it goes back as old as whiskey. It's mm -hmm. like there was once the grape and grain divide. So everyone in Northern Europe was making whiskey. Everyone in Southern Europe was making brandy. brandy. Mm -hmm. It would be the only way that you could preserve your wine would be to fortify it, which is where the tradition of sherry and port and all those things come from. And then brandy itself. So the idea of making brandy from fruit is as old as yes. alcohol consumption itself. And it, it shouldn't be thought of as, I'm not that girly is bad, but there's a, a, a deep history to, to brandy. fruit brandies yeah. for sure. What do you guys think of the bourbon? Delicious. Yeah? Right? Good? Yeah, what are you guys getting? What, what food words come to mind when you stick your nose in that glass, you breathe in jelly to your mouth? Both scent and taste is like peanut butter. Peanut butter, okay. Peanut butter, really? Yeah. Oh, that's the first time I've heard that. I love that. Peanut is one of the first flavors that comes off when she was talking about the heads cut and the tails cut. One of the first flavors that, as the still starts, what first comes off are those really volatile compounds that smell like acetone or paint thinner. And then again, this is traditionally always made by farmers. So where they would be like sticking their finger under whatever's coming out of their little still and be going like, that smells like poison. That smells like poison. One of the first things that didn't smell like poison that comes off your still is the smell of peanut butter. So oh. usually what the, the first good smells that start coming off of the still that don't smell like poison are little nuttiness, yeah. peanut butter, and then green apple. Those are the, the first kind of... Which are kind of delicious together, green apples right? and peanut butter, just saying. Is yeah. there a progression to that? Like, is it first peanut butter and then apple, or is there like... It'll, it'll largely depend on the fermentation, actually. It'll, what you put in the still is like going to dictate what was. comes out of the still. Okay. Um, but those, those when fruity tastes, we equate... Those are a lot of those fruit flavors we are called esters. They come from flavors that the yeast is creating that are then going to be concentrated through the distillation process. Um, nutty notes, also, those can be esters created by the, uh, by the yeast. So depending on the yeast and the grain, those are gonna change. But in my experience of visiting different uh, distilleries, you smell peanuts a lot coming off the still. It's very common. And I think that's just the confluence of flavors that are coming from whatever grasses or grains you're using mixed with the digestive process of the yeast. Jamie, you said these are all single barrel. With all the tastings you've done, have you noticed slight variation? I, I have, I have, but they're very, very consistent. Robert is incredibly intelligent and he actually developed a software system, like so developed it for the stills to tell when certain temperatures hit certain things to try and keep it as consistent as possible that he's actually created himself. So he's 
brilliant. And I, he'll send us all emails and be like, hey, I'm just, I just rewrote this program. And did you guys get that? And we're like, no, no, we didn't get that. We totally did not catch what you just did. But he's very intelligent and, and not only um, from the very hands-on craft and the, and the keeping it to each grain and very specific, but, but by software development scientifically, we use that to keep each barrel as consistent as possible. We distill everything in Ravenswood, Chicago, which is just slightly north of the city, like 15 minutes north on the Brown Line, if you're familiar with Chicago at all. So uh, we're, she's like, yes, I'm going there tomorrow. Um, so uh, we're, we're in Ravenswood, and we, we have a handful of things there, a handful of barrels that we store there, but um, our main storing and aging facilities in Michigan which is still local Midwest. Here's our brandy bottle too, which is kind of fancy and pretty. I know, it's pretty cool. It only comes in the 375 size like this. So this is called, it's uh, Susan for President is the line. Sonnet's, Sonnet's great aunt recently uh, passed away and she was this very artistic, eclectic, like I'm running for the president of the world. And so when she passed away, it was an homage to her. It's awesome. It's so good. It, like don't let the flowers fool you, it's brandy. So what was everyone's favorite? I yeah. always have to ask. Four grain. How many? Yeah. The oat. Awesome. And I went. How many folks like oat. the oat the best? Who was the oat was the favorite? No All right, way. Wow. That makes me happy. And I wasn't. Then, like, yeah. And then what about the rye? How many folks like the rye the best? Okay. All right. Uh, how many people like the, uh, the millet? The millet. Millet. And then the four, four grain. Four grain. And then how many folks like the bourbon the best? All right. Wow. wow. There's a lot of, there you go, there's your even it's a, split. It's an there's even a lot split, of, pretty much, like I said, yeah, which is such a fun, yeah. Well, just gonna show you, it's always subjective. Mm -hmm. There are no wrong answers when it comes to whiskey tasting. It's all about your personal preference, because yeah. we've got a wide, a wide distribution of tastes here. It really is a wonderful introduction. It really is. Um, so I, easy I, to I, drink. I'm sorry to say, but women are slow to come to whiskey, generally speaking. And I can really see I completely agree with you. I completely disagree. You disagree? No, no. I think what, but but I also I also believe. Men that are slow to come to whiskey too. I feel I feel like no. I think I think our four grain is the most distinguished, and I I always joke that I think women like that the most because we have the most distinguished palates. That's right. But but I think that the oat is. And I think women would like whiskey if they were taught how to like whiskey. I just think there's this stigmatism to whiskey being this like, you know, cowboy kind of thing. And so I always, I always love saying like, I want more people to be whiskey fans. Introduce them to the oat because it's just so easy to drink. And they'll, mm -hmm. and they'll, re just like when you started wine, if anyone in here appreciates wine, nobody started out with a big like punch you in the face red. Like, you know, you started out with Bartles and James or whatever the hell you did when you were 12, you know? So it, it's just that same kind of, you know, not, not to compare out to Bartles and James, but just that the process of starting with something lighter and easier and more approachable is the way to get to know other things. Well, right on. Well, thank you, Jamie, awesome. for coming out tonight. <laughs> Jamie okay. Stout from Cobol Distillery. And if you guys ever find yourself in Chicago, we just we do tours of the distillery and they have it's the only place where you can buy the entire line of the bazillion things that we have. So um, definitely go check it out and
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.